Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Rock climbing has exploded in popularity over the last 20 years. What was a niche outdoor hobby has diversified into a range of sports, some still redolent of rock and pine, and others that remind me, at least, of American Ninja Warrior. As climbing has grown, it has also become more inclusive as pioneering women like Lynn Hill opened the door to new generations of athletes who have become some of the best in the sport, full stop. So this hour, we talk about the Bay Area climbing scene and the strides that have been made towards gender equity, and also look at where the sports institutions need to work harder to make climbing something that truly welcomes everyone in. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined this morning by a crew of women who climb rocks and mountains. There has been radical change within this sport that's exploded in popularity. But of course, there's also a deep history of women invested in climbing. I'm not a climber myself, but it has been a great pleasure to spend some time reading about and listening to the women who helped blaze the trails in this field out in the valley, as climbers call it, I've learned, <laughs> or Yosemite, as others do, as well as in our area's gyms. So let me welcome in the panel, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the evolution of climbing and the battle for gender equality. First up, we've got Sarah Hart, a former professional climber and an advocate for women in the sport. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks kindly. So so happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. We've also got Chloe Koskoy, a professional climber on and the with the Elite Bouldering National Team. Welcome. Hi, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Your videos are amazing. For those of you who wanna take a look at Chloe climbing, they're so incredible. Uh we've also got uh Jesse Conrad, lead root setter at Bridges Climbing Gym. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. And Emily Taylor, creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program and founding director of the parent consulting company, Tailored Fit Solutions. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, Sarah Hart, I thought that we could start with you because you've been involved in this pretty intense project to sort of record the history of ascents by women in, in this field. Um, what kind of feats are you recording and how does the the history of women in climbing normally get told? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, in 2018, I connected with the American Alpine Journal, um, which is sort of the, the like summary of the most significant climbing that's happened 
um, each year across the across the globe. And um, what was happening is the benchmark for significant climbing or reportable climbing um, was really representative of just what uh, men were able to accomplish. And I um, am of the opinion that there is physiological difference between men and women, especially when it comes to alpinism, which is um, climbing high mountains, snow and ice. And so myself and, and a collective of other folks were able to sort of work to figure out a way to equalize the reporting field, if mm. you will, um, so creating almost not an equality approach, but an equity approach. And um, the reason why that felt important is because a lot of the history of women's climbing was being missed in in the recorded history of, of climbing, of mm-hmm. alpinism. And um, through this, this activity, we were really able to start teasing out really significant climbs by women that had gone all but entirely unreported. And um, even though some of that did not entirely match what men and teams of men were accomplishing for women and for, um, you know, based on this unique set of physiological differences, it was very significant. Um, Yeah, that was that was sort of took up much of my time, 2018, 2019. That's interesting. Um, A study published by Columbia University in 2021 found that you know, multiple women can be found in the list of top 100 rock climbers, a trend that's not found um, in other major sports. And Emily, another way I've been thinking about this is that climbs that kind of no one could do 15 years ago, people of all genders are now doing fairly regularly. And I'm curious what you think as a, as a coach and also as a climber, what opened up like all these kind of new levels of performance? Um, thank you for your question. It's it's rather interesting coming right after Sarah. Um, I was the first black woman to climb El Capitan in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been two black women who have climbed El Cap. We both live here in the Bay Area, Chelsea Griffey being the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conversation is really interesting that we're having all together because when we're talking about women, we actually have to think about what kind of women come to mind when people are thinking about rock climbing. Um, and so for for me, being a Black woman in climbing mm-hmm. and for 23 years not seeing other Black women in climbing, where mm-hmm. the door is open is, um, is a little bit different mm-hmm. from what I see in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that USA Climbing has a lot to do with the reason why women are climbing. I believe that the, the this previous generation of Alex Johnson, Alex Puccio, Megan Martin being one of them, have really done a, an amazing job um, with getting the messages out there and doing a good job with being peer mentors. And so I do want to give credit, especially to this particular generation that's going on of the the 20-somethings that are on the U.S. climbing team who are acting as ambassadors to the next generation because that wasn't something that was there for me and I don't have any other black women ahead of me mm, to mm-hmm. show me necessarily how to do it. So um, it's, it's, I think that that has a lot to do with it. The, the youth climbing competition for sure. And, and social media. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, um, Chloe, I know that you actually have lived with other pro climbers and kind of providing that uh, kind of peer support. But I was also wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the kind of climbing that you compete in, um, you know, and how it might differ for sort of what people have in their minds as sort of like Yosemite Valley climbing or these kind of like trad climbs uh, uh, on rock faces. Yeah, so... um, Climbing competitions occur indoors. So if you've ever been into a rock climbing gym, you've seen um, a a rock wall covered in a variety of holds, different colors. Um, And the way it works is the climbs are based off of difficulty the same way as outdoors. So um, for a bouldering competition, we'll be faced with between four and five boulder problems. And we have five minutes having never seen the climb to try and solve the problem. Um, Starting at the bottom, we try to get to the top hold in the five minutes that we have. And a lot of the times um, in a competition, not everyone will be able to get to the top of all those boulder problems. And that's how the scores will be separated. Hmm. And it looks Um, really different too, right? I mean, there's a lot of like at least from what I have seen of it, there's a lot of uh, explosive kind of jumping. It's not these kind of long drawn out. It is this, it really feels quite different to me as a sport. Right. So indoor climbing competitions are, are really interesting because route setters are able to create the, the types of moves and, and climbs that they want people to try. So we'll have a lot more gymnastic climbing moves. We'll be, jumping and we can be tested on a a variety of skills throughout one climbing round and a lot of that just comes down to what the route setters choose to Mm -hmm. test the climbers on um so throughout one round of competition that can vary a lot compared to what you might get on on a few boulder problems outside that's so interesting um jesse conrad you are a route setter um and my question for you here at the top is you know, we know that in sports, there's the people who are competing and there's um, gender equity issues there. But it's also the kind of the infrastructure of the sport and of the work and the gyms. Can you talk to us about what you do as a root setter um, and whether you feel like that internal machinery of climbing is changing along with the sort of public facing components? Hmm. So as a root setter, like Chloe was saying, you know, we create climbs for people. Um, I'm a commercial route setter. I have, you know, very little competitive route setting experience, um, which is, I think, very high level uh, route setting, maybe the very top of what we do. Um, And we are not only trying to create challenges for people, um, but also successes. Um, Ultimately, especially from a commercial perspective, you know, we're building climbers. We want to get people into the sport, uh, get them hooked, and hopefully, um, you know, challenging themselves and wanting to get better. Um, As Chloe was saying, you know, (laughs) root setting definitely climbing, I would say, it definitely has become very gymnastic. Um, Mm. You definitely don't find that sort of climbing outdoors so much. Um, And the style really has changed uh, just in the last decade that I've been route setting. Um, And then, you know, the last almost 15 years that I've been climbing, it it definitely looks very different. Mm. 
Um, people may not be familiar with some of the terminology, but what's amazing is I love that you all call the root up the boulder like a problem. Uh, and then you, then you go solve it. And one of the things that's fascinating about your specific role in this sport, Jesse, is there's a this concept of kind of climbing empathy. Like you have to try and understand how different people might approach this route, right? Do you find that there are gendered components to doing that? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I think men and women, um, we're built differently. We move differently. Um, you know, as a route setter, what climbing empathy means to us is putting ourselves in a, another person's shoes. Um, you really, we're setting, you know, with an intended audience in mind. Um, maybe we're setting for children. Maybe we're setting for children at birthday parties. Perhaps we're setting in a climbing uh, competition, you know, children who are small bodied, but very, very capable and really strong. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely um, keeping people in mind when we're setting these. Uh, for me, it's bouldering. I set boulders as opposed mm -hmm. to routes on a regular basis. And so, you know, climb, I think as a route setter, you, you definitely you need an imagination, but you also need a high level of empathy. That's so interesting. Um, we are talking about women in rock climbing and changes in the sport. We're joined by Jesse Conrad, lead root, lead root setter at Bridges Climbing Gym. Chloe Cosco, a professional climber with the Elite Bouldering National Team. Sarah Hart, former professional climber and a historian of women in the sport. And Emily Taylor, climbing coach and creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program. We'd love to hear from you. Are you a member of the climbing community who hasn't felt represented or included in the sport? Give us a call. Tell us about your experiences. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your questions, your comments to forum at kqed.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're KQED Forum. We, of course, um, are going to talk after the break about people who have sort of inspired our, our crew of climbers and get a little bit of a profile into like how you actually become uh, a professional climber and move up the ranks, particularly starting out here in the Bay Area. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrid. We're talking about women 
in rock climbing. Joined by Emily Taylor, climbing coach and creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program. Jesse Conrad, lead rude setter at Bridges Climbing Gym. Chloe Koskoy, professional climber. And Sarah Hart, a former professional climber and historian of women in the sport. We're going to take uh, some of your calls and comments um, in this hour. Are you a member of the climbing community who hasn't felt represented or included in the sport? Call and share your experience. Or maybe you have found your community and you can share that uh, positive experience as well. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. And you can find us on all the social things as uh, KQED forum. You know, Emily Taylor, um, I know one very elite young climber who's deeply gender nonconforming. And I always wondered how that might play into, you know, that person's experience of what it is to to climb. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, you know, um, it's, I, I thank you for bringing that subject up. We are right now um, in, in perils with the fact that we have 13 United States uh, 13 states in the United States that have anti-trans laws on. So that means that there are 13 states in which there are athletes that are not safe. Um, and this is, you know, there's 17, seven additional states that have bills currently um, uh, forward to, to deny access for trans athletes. So when it comes to looking at a climber's body, um, a uh, particular climber's body, especially a boulder. A boulder or typically has a upper back is a little bit bigger um, mm-hmm. than a rope climber's back. And so we're, we're struggling with things like gender identity and gender conversations is things like competition sports where we put it as a girl and a boy sport. Now we have 13 states in which says that a, someone who presents maybe mm-hmm gender expansive mm-hmm. may be impacted by this particular situation as far as entry access level and having mm-hmm. fair play and fair play is not just a matter of being able to access a gym fair play is something like attending a competition in let's say utah over a course of four days mm-hmm. and someone has to use the bathroom and they get accosted in the bathroom how does that impact the rest of their competition mm-hmm. and it's conversations that we're not necessarily having when we're talking about inclusivity into sports and we're also impacted by the transgender laws and the gender laws in general that are impacting girls more than any other gender um, I want to talk about some of the people who have inspired you all in your sort of climbing um, past. And maybe, Sarah uh, Hart, we can start with you. Who's uh, someone who has really, you know, helped help lead you down this path? Yeah, I guess I will um, talk a little bit about two women, Chantelle Astorga and Jewel Lund. And they... Um, almost sort of inspired this project that I embarked on, the American Alpine Journal. They're two women who traveled to Alaska quite a lot to climb in the central Alaska range, which is where Denali is, the the highest mountain in the United States and in North America. And they in, um, I believe, 2015, climbed a route called the Denali Diamond. So Mm -hmm. on Denali, considered to be one of the most difficult 
uh, roots up the mountain, a test piece, if you will. And I think a cool thing about what they did is that um, at the time of their ascent, they were, I believe, the fifth ascent or the sixth ascent, but the first time for women. And that's what really triggered me to become involved in this is that for women, this was a really, really impressive climb. And it went all but entirely unreported in climbing mm. media. Um, and so since that time, I, I mean, I follow uh, Jewel and Chantel, and Chantel has continued to make massive leaps in alpinism and mountain climbing for women. And I continue to um, do my best to ensure that folks like Jewel and Chantel are appropriately recorded and that they're successes are are noted in a way that is respectful and meaningful to what they've accomplished for yeah. women. That's cool. Let's um let's bring in our first caller. Uh we've got Nathan in uh Richmond listening uh with a daughter. Yeah, hi. I'm listening with my five year old daughter Lydia and she has proven herself to be an awesome climber at the playground so far. <laughs> When I've given her, like, showed her videos of parkour, she's been really interested in that, jumping off the side of the car and stuff like that. And she's recently been hanging from the door frames in the house. <laughs> she has a question she wants to ask you. How can, how can an awesome rock climber how can a five-year-old be ready to be an awesome rock climber? How can a five-year-old be ready to be an awesome rock climber? Oh, Lydia, thank you so much for that call. Thank you so much. Uh, why don't we, Chloe, do you want to try uh, giving that answer, and then we'll come to you, Emily, as a coach? Yeah, so I grew up um, playing all sorts of sports, but it wasn't really until I, I found climbing myself that I really felt like, I found a sport that that'll stick with me kind of my whole life. I started climbing when I was about 12 or 13 years old at Bridges Rock Gym. So just a little older, older than you there. And I really quickly joined the youth climbing program there, which is a really great way for young people to kind of start being introduced to, to climbing in a way where you, you can make a lot of friends and, uh, kind of get introduced to the sport with a lot of people like yourselves who are interested in in starting climbing. Um, the youth climbing scene is really interesting because there's a lot of young girls who are super strong and really pushing the sport forward. For myself growing up, a lot of my mentors were a lot of, or people who I looked up to were climbers who were my age and who were really, really, really strong climbers. So Ashima Shirashi, Brooke Rabatou, Natalia Grossman. Um, there's a lot of space for, for young people in climbing. So that's something that's exciting. And I would really encourage uh, kids who are interested in climbing to look for youth programs in their mm. local gyms. That's awesome. Em Emily, what would be your advice on how to go from, you know, hanging off the door frame to uh, uh, up against the wall? Um, it, it's interesting, Chloe, you mentioned Brooke Rabbit too. I, I, I always tell the story that I used to change her diapers when she would come and visit <laughs> competitions uh, with her mom when she was little. And it was beautiful to watch Brooke and her brother, Sean, grow up. 
Um, I've been coaching for 25 years and I, I have turned out quite a few um, rock stars in the industry. And I would say um, now in doing it the second time around and doing it with black and brown girls and girls specific only, I would say the best thing is to become well-rounded. Hmm. Um, um, what, what do you mean by because- that specifically in climbing? Well, if you get into competition climbing, it's about a seven-year commitment. Um, and right now, the way that the U.S. Uh, climbing team and the, the, to qualify for the U.S. climbing team, you have to be well-rounded in speed, sport, and bouldering to make the team. And so that's, you know, it's really asking your body to do three different things. It's asking it to be a long-distance runner. It's asking it to be a, a hurdler. And it's asking it also to be a short-distance runner. And so to be well-rounded to me means being physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually well-rounded. Having a really incredible support system, having uh, an access point. Um, A lot of people don't have that access point into there. And so, you know, I can say for my girls getting into competition climbing, they totally desire to do it. But things like the fact that they're the only black girls in this sport or they're the only black people in a room sometimes impedes the process and so we have to do a lot of things outside of climbing in order to give them the confidence to to withstand Mm. the fact that they're going to be competing in a space where they're the only black people in the room of Mm. 2,000 people Mm. so to be well-rounded is not just to be able to climb the wall it's to be really emotionally confident you're going against really the one percenters, the really top, top climbers. And these these kids are coming from brigades. So it's not to talk her down. It's actually to give her a more confidence to do things like swimming, dancing, um, ballet. And she's in Richmond. Go over there to Traverse Fit and get on their parkour. There's a beautiful picture of <laughs> Megan Martin right there to inspire her while she's doing parkour. And then... <laughs> Also, you know, visit, I would say also visit smaller gyms in the area like Oaktown Boulders and places that will really um, look at her skill set and really hold space for her and not just become a number, another number on a team. Um, Emily, we actually have uh, a member of your climbing uh, group. Zoe in Berkeley is on the line. Welcome, Zoe. Hi. Um, hey, what would your advice be uh, for Lydia in Richmond about, you know, how'd you get to go from being, you know, a five-year-old who liked to climb on stuff to being where you are now? Um, I've been doing gymnastics for a long time. I've been doing it since I was, like, two years old. I've been, <laughs> wow. like, climbing light posts and restaurant parking lots and the police have told me to get down from there (laughs) and so I knew that this was going to be good for me to do climbing Uh and I also want to say hi to coach Emily (laughs) this year what do you you love about this uh, about the sport Zoe um I, I don't know I love everything about climbing I love I don't know. It's just crazy because when I joined, I just like immediately wanted to do everything about it. <laughs> really? I'm in Brown Girls Climbing with Coach Emily. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really great. Oh, man. And you are now 12 years old, right? 
Yes. And when you go to, you know, a competition, like what is the feeling you get when you, you know, go up one of these walls? Well, I'm, I haven't done any competitions yet, but really, I mean, I'm going to get there. Yeah. But like, (laughs) I believe in you. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I'm not in competitions, but I have done like gymnastics competitions and it's, it's, I think it's helped me a lot with my strength and just kind of flexibility during climbing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, so I thank you so much for uh, for calling in, and um, I really yeah. love love hearing your uh, path in sports. So cool. Um, let's uh, get to another caller. Let's go to Chris in Albany. Welcome, Chris. Hi. Uh, yeah. So my question is, um, or from what I understand, national climbing competitions are divided into men's and women, and um, you know the, the routes that are set for the different genders do they consider that when they're setting those climbs and Mm -hmm. if so is that same approach being applied to commercial climbing Mm. and if so how is that yeah hey thanks so much yeah sure um jess conrad lead root setter at bridges rock jam in el cerrito yeah um yes i believe they're taking the genders into consideration when setting for high-level competitions. Um, it's kind of unfortunate. I think, I personally think that uh, if you pit especially some of these high-level athletes, these women against men, they may be every bit as strong, if not stronger, um, move better, have better technique. That said, uh, you see a lot of jumping when it comes to the men, and you see um, you see some jumping with women too, but you tend to see different types of movement being set for, for women. Um, and I know, you know, just when we've set for competitions um, at my gym, we fall into some of the same traps, I'm ashamed to say. Yeah, let's see the men jump around, and then let's mm. give the women more, you know, static, balancey, uh, mm. you know, technical climbing. Um and I think, yeah, that's how I feel about that. Um, and as far as like commercial setting, I don't think that we're we're thinking so much, you know, about the genders necessarily. Um, we're just setting movement and then hoping everybody gets on it. And um, and I I really feel like that's how we should be approaching competition setting as well. Yeah. Um, Sarah Hart, I know that you have spent a lot of time talking with some of the legends of the sport, as well as just kind of thinking about the the types of climbing that women have ended up really getting into in these kind of different ways. Are there particular types of climbing that women have come to really gravitate towards for some particular reason? Yeah, totally. Um, I think what uh, Chloe is uh, talking about and and what Emily's been involved with with her um, brown girls climbing. I think women are, are generally pretty exceptional when it comes to technical roped climbing. Um, so this might be like difficult technical sport climbing or difficult technical bouldering. Um, and you can see it in the stats. Women uh, are really like almost at par with what men have accomplished in the most difficult sport climbing and the most difficult bouldering. Um, 
it starts to become a little bit more uh, dispersed when you move into traditional climbing, which is um, things like climbing on El Capitan. Uh, and then as you move even further into things like alpinism in uh, remote mountain ranges or um, difficult ice climbing, the the balance of men to women is much different. There are far more men involved in these specific arenas of climbing. Mm. And then also the the level of difficulty becomes a bit different to men. Just, I think, by nature, again, of physiology, uh, in difficult mountain climbing and ice climbing, you know, the specific elements of that area of climbing are... Um, in some ways, a, a bit more difficult based on the physiology of women. You know, you're carrying a very heavy pack. Strength to weight really really plays in here. And um, so I think in general, women are really like matching men when it comes to the most technical and mm. um, uh, really like it specifically in the areas of sport climbing and bouldering. Mm. They're really starting to match men, but the difference remains still in, in alpinism. Chloe Cascoy, how do you think about this as an sort of active elite competitor? Yeah, so one thing that that I think is really unique and special about climbing is particularly in climbing competitions, when we turn around to a climb that we've never seen before, we're being tested on an element of technique, of power, of strength, of climbing IQ and problem solving and Men and women have those abilities on, on different scales, I think, across the board. Climbing in at the National Team Training Center in Salt Lake City, one thing that, that I find really cool is when we're doing practice competitions, our head coach and route setter, Josh Larson, for example, will set certain climbs for competition. And then at the very last minute, he'll decide whether it's for the women's round or the men's round, just because that gap in ability is is really shrinking and we're seeing women able to play and compete on a lot of the same boulders that that men are on so that's something that i've experienced and i keep seeing um yeah. and that's that's really cool to be a part of yeah we're talking about women in rock climbing with chloe cascoy professional climber with the elite bouldering national team sarah hart former professional climber and historian of the sport, Jesse Conrad, lead root setter at Bridges Rock Gym in El Cerrito, and Emily Taylor, climbing coach and creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program. We'll be back with more right after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about women and rock climbing with Emily Taylor, climbing coach and creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program and owner of Tailored Fit Solutions. Jesse Conrad, lead root setter at Bridges Rock Gym in El Cerrito. Chloe Cascoy, professional climber with the Elite Bouldering National Team. And Sarah Hart, a former professional climber and historian of women in the sport. Love to hear from you if you're a member of the climbing community who has or has not felt represented in what you've seen of the climbing world. You can call and tell us about your experience. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email forum at kqd.org, or you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at KQD Forum. Let's bring in Sadie in El Cerrito. Welcome, Sadie. Hi. Um I just wanted to give a shout-out to the Youth Climbing League and their amazing competition series, um, which I'm currently participating in. Oh, that's so cool. What's it's it? Um, how old are you, Sadie? I'm 13, going on 14. Oh, nice. And how long have you been climbing? Since I was eight. Oh. And really fun growing up with climbing. Yeah. How did you get into it? I've always just loved to climb everything in sight. <laughs> and um, moved out to California, and I learned that there was such a thing as, like, actual rock climbing and actual gyms, and not just, like, on the monkey bars. That was amazing, and I just instantly hopped right into the sport. Oh, man. Do you have a specialty, like, within climbing? Well, Bridges, where I go, is a bouldering gym, so I really like bouldering, but I'm not quite as comfortable on top ropes yet. Uh-huh. That's cool. And do you have someone who has inspired you just like you watch their Instagram or someone that you see here in person in the Bay Area? Um, Chloe Coscoy has always been a really big inspiration for me because um, she's from the same area as I am and she actually comes from the same gym. And so it's just been really awesome to see someone who I've always looked up to on this show. Uh, that's so cool. Chloe, do you want to uh, say anything to uh, Sadie? Yeah, Sadie, thank you so much. Um, I mean, Bridges was such a huge part in me growing up and becoming the climber I am today. And it's really cool to see that continue and with more people participating in their youth programs. Um, I started in the Youth Climbing League myself before I started competing in USA climbing competitions. And that was such a great kind of lower stress, lower pressure way to be introduced to to climbing competition. So it's really cool to hear that, that that's still going on and that you guys are participating in that. So cool. Um, Sadie, do you have any uh, goals you want to share with us before we let you go? Well, um, I really want to make it in the top 10 at uh, YCL because mm. I just, it's always been a big goal for me and I really want to just get in the top leagues. And yeah. I know that if I want to do that, I have to be really good right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sadie in El Cerrito, thank you so much. Good luck getting into the top 10 of the Youth Climbing League. And for parents or other kids who are listening, um, yeah, that Youth Climbing League uh, here in Northern California obviously seems like a great uh, uh, great org. Let's go to uh, another call here. Let's go to uh, Lori in San Anselmo. Lori from San Anselmo, thanks for letting me on. Um, I'm in my 60s, and I um, came to climbing from the outdoors to the indoors when the gyms first started opening up in the Bay Area. And I, I get 
such a kick out of watching the kids develop, and it's such a wonderful thing to see uh, young girls uh, become strong and confident and uh, really tearing it up and equaling the boys. I'm, and, in fact, I see at certain ages the girls uh, excel beyond where the boys are at, both in terms of their uh, confidence and skill. One thing I would like to see more of is um, because the adults have much to learn from the children in terms of uh, letting go of some of our fears, and I think the children also have something to learn from the adults who come to it from, you know, the outside climbing world, and there's many points of etiquette that I sometimes feel are, are um, missing in, in the training program, and there's, there's a transition from indoor climbing to outdoor mm. climbing, and, um, you know, it's a sport that you can be in for many, many years, witness me, and when I go to places all around the world, I often see people much older than me still climbing, uh, climbing at a pretty high level, and it's just a, it's a wonderful sport, so... Those are my remarks. So cool. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Lori. Let me, uh, let's go just in a little stack right here to uh, Kim in Healdsburg. Welcome, Kim. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm calling because my daughter competes uh, out of Team Vertex in Santa Rosa, and she did the Youth Climbing League last year, and she's doing USAC this year. And it has been just, I mean, as I grew up doing a non traditional sport, and so I have some. Uh, what was yours, Kim? What was sports? yours? You're not getting out of this. What was your non-traditional sport? <laughs> oh, I grew up racing BMX. It was pretty fun. Oh wow. Okay. Um, All right. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. So you know, my kid is not a ball sport team kid, and and finding climbing has been amazing for. Her. I've never seen a sport that is so supportive. She took a couple of her her friends who who were not on the team climbing yesterday, and and the feedback was like, man, she's such a good cheerleader. I'm like, yeah, she definitely learned that from her team. Like. They're so supportive. It's never. It's just really amazing to watch. Ah, oh, that's great. Hey, thank you, Kim. Um, really appreciate that perspective. I mean, Emily, do you do you feel like you have to approach teaching kids that sort of um, camaraderie and supportiveness, or you think there's something that like in this actual physical activity that leads people to you know kind of naturally support each other in that way? Um, you know. Those who are attracted to climbing usually are not folks who are attracted to team sports. Um, that's what I found with mm-hmm. children, um, that they have a specific m- m- way in which they think, they process, and they communicate. And I also find a lot of people who, uh, who, yeah, they, they, they find a, a lot of social connection for sure. But I think it's really important to... Um, to not over mystify what that social connection is and mm. what that social connection looks like. When we say that climbing is such a social sport, it's a social sport for who? Um, who is the, it's, it's a white centered sport. It's a white dominated ableist sport. And so those people who are not in that center end up having to make a community for themselves and which in the past, which beautifully in the past, I'd say probably 10 years of evolution, we've had a lot of affinity spaces, places for people of color, places for Asian climbers, Latino climbers, mm-hmm. um, it, for, for adaptive climbers. And I even have a, a spectrum, autistic spectrum group. So I think when mm-hmm. we talk about community, folks find themselves within their community, within climbing. And because they're individualistic, we end, we tend to end up gravitating towards each other, mm-hmm. which is it, it mm-hmm. ends up being a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. But I I really love to see more bridging of um, 
what community could look like. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Shay in San Francisco. Welcome, Shay. Hey, this is Shay Freedom, San Francisco. Thanks for having me. Uh, just wanted to say that as a former foster youth, a black, queer, trans, masculine being uh, assigned female at birth, the places where I find we could build more is um, in allowing people like myself who are trans masculine but still have menstrual cycles um, into spaces that are more comfortable for folks like us that are often typically serving um, female climbers. Because mm-hmm. I can't go to, you know, a, a male a male space and go, hey, anybody have a menstrual item I can use? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Pads, tampons, that sort of thing. So big shout out to Brown Girls Climb and Adventurous Women who have helped me along my path, Climbing for Change and uh, Climbers of Color, whose grants made it possible for me to, within two years, become just about SPI certified. Um, as a former foster youth, didn't have experiences in the outdoors because that wasn't something that was, you know, allowed for us former foster youth. Mm-hmm. Um, due to like liability. So I'm just so honored to be here now as the outdoors are diversifying and so grateful for all the affinity programs from Climbers of Color, Climbing for Change, AMGA, American Alpine Club. And just want to, um, you know, really put the stoke out there for anybody. If you are like me and have financial needs, go ahead and check out these grants. There's so many great programs for black folk, BIPOC folk, um, indigenous folk, pe- all various types of people of color and LGBTQIA plus. So yeah. we're out here. We want you come <laughs> on and prove that it's possible. And thanks so much for during this legislation, making a welcoming space for trans folk like me. Hey, Shay, thank you uh, so much for that. You know, one listener uh, responds, you know, I love this topic. I grew up in a mixed race family with a trans sibling as a 40 year old white cis male climber who learned to climb in college. I love, love, love the diversity and inclusion I see in the climbing world these days. The inclusion and excellence of young, diverse climbers makes me so proud to be a climber. Another listener uh, writes in to say, the explosion of women climbing has been one of the great advances in the sport in my 35 years of climbing. Your guests today are awesome, and they are standing on the shoulders of giants. Women have been shredding in the sport for many decades. Wanda Rutkovitz, did I say that right? Uh, Catherine Destevel, Allison Hargraves, Lynn Hill, Robin Urbisfield, Bobby Benzman, and that's just off the top of my head. I regularly tell testosterone-fueled boys in the gym, dude, you know there are little girls in Slovenia climbing harder than you ever will. (laughs) Uh, uh, Carly writes in to say, I used to climb as a kid but gave it up in my teens as I never felt sporty or athletic. I rediscovered climbing during the pandemic, both indoor and outdoor, and can honestly say it's changed my life in multiple ways. Finding this supportive, inclusive community in the Bay Area has been one of the most unexpected joys of my adult life. Um, Jesse Conrad, I wanted to um, give you one more minute to talk about, like, if you if people want to get involved on the kind of infrastructural side of this sport, like, what's the way that they do that? If they're not going to be like doing competitions, but they're going to be route setting or you know helping run gyms or things like that. Hmm. Well, I was fortunate to be approached um, in my in my home gym uh, to be invited to route set. Um, I think you know. Look at who is 
consider the environment you're in. Look at who is at the top. Um, I think gyms, climbing gyms are really casual, laid back places. Um, you know, speaking from experience with my own gym, um, everyone is super friendly. Find out who you need to talk to if you're looking to get into route setting. Um, to, you know, again, consider the environment. Look at the crew. If it's an all male, all white uh, crew, that says something. You know, obviously they need to diversify, but it might be difficult to break into. Um, talk to the head route setter. Talk to the gym manager. Talk to the route setters. Find out what their experience is like. Um, you know, be a squeaky wheel. Ask questions. Um, be assertive. Uh, that is all going to be come in handy and be really necessary if you want to if you want to be a route setter. Yeah. Cool. Um, and Sarah Hart, because you have put together so much uh, work on this on the history of women in climbing, where can people find that if they would like to see you know all, all the work you put together? Yeah, cool. Um, most of the the project has been sort of captured by the American Alpine Journal and. Mm. There is a um, 2021 article, I believe 2021, um, called The State of the Art. And that's sort of a summary of the work that we did uh, and highlights some of the, the things that we discovered about women in climbing, women's history in climbing, and, um, and also shares a bit about our process and how we arrived at what we thought was a very equity-based approach to um, capturing the history of women's climbing. And then also I did do a small podcast series on behalf of the American Alpine Journal um, where I interview, you know, folks like Lynn Hill and um, it's available through the American Alpine Journal's website. So awesome. We have been talking about women in rock climbing with Sarah Hart, a former professional climber and historian of women in the sport. Chloe Koskoy, professional climber with the elite bouldering national team, got her start here in El Cerrito. Jess Conrad, lead root setter at Bridges Rock Gym in El Cerrito. And Emily Taylor, climbing coach and creator of the Brown Girls Climbing Program. Thank you so much to everyone who called in and who was a, a guest on the show. Just a totally fascinating. And I loved all the kids who called in for all you parents out there who made that happen. I really appreciate that. Uh, we, As you may have heard um, on Tuesday, this is National Poetry Month. And we're going to be featuring some poems on Fridays. So this week... We're featuring Anthony Fangari. He's a poet, visual artist, fiction writer based in San Francisco. Also happens to work as a grant writer here at the station. His writing centers his family's roots in Egypt, the Coptic experience, colonialism, and the psychology of historically persecuted people. And he just won a prestigious creative writing fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. Here he is, reading his work. Khuf. It means fear in Arabic. Never forget your mother woke you that morning. You ran to the TV. She said, explosions. A tower collapsing into itself. A structure of sand, aware where you stood, how flags can flash like hammers. Fabric and color can beg. Never forget learning you were Arab. The first time letters collapsed onto you like soil. Never forget hating yourself, your food, music, name, what burnt knuckle hair smelt like, when your mother dyed her hair blonde, plucked your eyebrows into slivers, never forget the wet wrinkle of her scream when the second tower fell, that it meant something was to come, your parents changed their names, airplanes, random security checks, being accused of trying to start a caliphate, learning the word caliphate, the photo of Pope Shenouda, 
the trigger pull that followed. Never forget learning about Afghanistan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Palestine. How you, your Persian friend, and your Afghan friend started a tagging crew called Arabs with Attitude. Even though none of you were Arab, white kids wanted to join. You told them they had to get jumped in. How easily abdomens give to driving knees. How pink white flesh can flush when they first said never forget and how bad you wish they would. When your friend's dad said they need to just nuke all the f***ing Arabs. How stiff his jaw looked. The terror in your father's eyes when he saw you wearing a shirt that said diamond in Arabic. How he calls you every time there's a mass shooter. How he begs you to shave your face. How 14 people were killed near your house in San Bernardino and he begs you to shave your face. Never forget when your father told you that we deserve this. We change the way the world travels. No other people have done this before. We have nothing to be proud of. That was Anthony Fangari reading his work. And I wanted to share one more poem with you. This one comes courtesy of Hank Watts, one of our regular listeners. He heard the poetry show and loved what the poets had to say about the particular lines. And that inspired him to send in a poem called Little Testament. It was published in the Mountain Gazette, one of those weird and delightful little magazines that prospered in the 1970s. And he keeps this poem tacked to the wall just left of my roll top computer desk, as he told me. As such, it doesn't actually have the author's name, so consider this a challenge to forum listeners. If you know who wrote this amazing poem in the Mountain Gazette in the mid-1970s, let us know. Here's a little testament. For stuffing shin and wing bones of cross-country tumbleweed, I hereby leave my soul. And to found a matched pair of post-Cambrian fern prints, my feet. My eyeballs I desire should go to speculative moles researching back-issue moons. I give my body hair as encouragement to field mice, but my rib cage, a complete set, pass on to summer rains majoring in xylophone. As wine skin ripe with mural designs for the next age of stone, my brain. My final breath, however, I choose to divide one half to endow a small cumulus cloud willing to reside in Illinois over Morgan County and the other 50% to learners permit sparrows there still scared in that tiny fall between beats. This Hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Catherine Monahan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineer is the hero, Danny Bringer. Our interns are Lulu Ralda, who produced today's show, and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin lindsay and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. That's our show for this Friday. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with guest host Scott Schaefer. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.